The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Officially Unofficial, presented by Blue Wire Podcast. I'm your host, the former face of junior college baseball, the fall American Johnny Junta. And we're here with a special guest. He is Toronto Blue Jays prospect, throws absolute fuzz. It's a new friend of the show, Hobie Harris. How are we, brother? Doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing great. And I just want to just establish this right off the rip. I have one rule on the podcast. It's don't fuck with guys that wear cowboy boots. That's my only rule. And you actually meet that criteria. You're a you're a noted cowboy boot guy. So let's go into that. I mean, is that something? Oh, yeah. that you've, so is that something you've adapted to you as a child? Have you always been a cowboy boot guy? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've worn them most of my life. Being born and raised in Texas, which kind of comes with the territory. So uh, it has been probably up through college that I began wearing them every day. But you you're very rare unless I'm on a baseball field. You catch me not wearing them. So that's one of the scariest things of all time. Uh, I would just establish that right off the rip. But you went to school at Pitt, and obviously it's it's more northeast area, I guess you could say. It's more like the north side of the country. W- what were people thinking of when they saw a guy wearing cowboy boots? Like, what the what the fu- what the fuck's going on here? Like, were they a little bit kind of culture shocked at like the difference in your outfits compared to what they were wearing? Yeah, I definitely get some weird looks every now and again. I think more times than not. Went through people office when I wear my boots with my sweatpants to class just because it was more comfortable. So I'd be sitting next to some some random person in class wearing my baseball sweats and cowboy boots, and they're thinking this guy's a freaking lunatic. So how does that happen though? So I mean, obviously, being a guy from Texas, there's the SEC country there, the Big Twelve. You have all that kind of stuff. What led you to go to the University of Pitt, which is a great baseball school? Front of the show, TJ Zoic went there first rounder. So what made you go there? Well, there are a couple of contributing factors. First and foremost, something a lot of people don't know is both my parents went to Pitt. They're from the Northeast. They're both from Harrisburg. Um, so it was kind of ironic that I ended up going up there. But I went to junior college here in Texas for two years and um, just ended up there were one of the teams that recruited me and went up there on a visit, kind of fell in love with the campus, fell in love with the coaching staff. And it was their inaugural year in the ACC, some pretty – baseball so it was a pretty easy decision for me uh, so it kind of worked out ironically that my folks went there but out, outside of that it was just I was recruited and decided that's where I wanted to be 
No, I respect that. So, I mean, and, and you mentioned that you're a JUCO bandit, former JUCO guy, just like myself. We got to go oh, yeah. into the story. We got to go into the stories here. I mean, so you went to JUCO in Texas. What JUCO was it? Paris. Paris you went to Paris JC. Yeah, that's a wagon baseball school. That's a really good baseball school. So, what? Let's go. I mean, what was the trenches like for you? What was the JUCO lifestyle? And just give the little the listeners who have no idea about it, like what's what's the JUCO lifestyle like? The exact JUCO. In perspective, right off the bat, it was it was one of the actually one of my only offers coming out of high school. I didn't play my junior year because of an arm issue I had, so it was it was kind of uh, the only route I was able to take. But the school was about an hour, fifteen minutes from the house I grew up in, and I went on my visit with my parents. And at the time, my favorite restaurant was Buffalo Wild Wings. So my dad were on the way there, and he goes, "Let's go ahead and you know map out, see how close the closest Buffalo Wild Wings is, so we can." make sure that I can get some good eating while I'm up there and um, put it on the map. And the closest one to where I was going to school was the one in my hometown. So there was not much at all going on up there. And, uh, you know, for fun, we would take five or six of our trucks out in the middle of a cornfield and just drink until the sun came up. That's all there was to do. <laughs> yeah, that's what we did, man. That's what we did. I mean, well, the thing is, obviously, being a guy from Toronto – uh, I didn't really understand the whole country lifestyle and all that kind of stuff. So I went to school in Nebraska, which is you want to talk about the fucking sticks, like nothing to oh, yeah. do population 1500. Um, so I went to school there and it just like the culture change. I mean, w- what they used to do for fun is like you said, man, they would go into a field and just absolutely booze and maybe br- like shoot shit or skeet shoot. So it's some of the craziest shit of all mm-hmm. time. So is that what you guys would do there? I mean, obviously you mentioned that, but what else was there to do in Paris? Uh you know, we had, we became friends with some of the the kids that were local to the area, whether they grew up there or they were from surrounding areas. So we knew people that would have house parties or that had uh, barns and stuff we'd go in and hang out in, which was cool. But for the most part, man, it was uh, drive out in the middle of nowhere and just kind of make your own fun, you know, whether it was finding stuff to shoot or just seeing how much beer you can drink and still make it back to the dorm. So when you're out Paris and you're in, and you're in the Texas Juco area, right? Mm-hmm. You're facing some absolute freaks of nature. Like you're facing guys that literally don't give a flying fuck about school. Like they're just playing to, to play baseball. You guys have guys that are like high nineties. Mm-hmm. What was some nasty guys that were in your conference that are like, let's say in the show now or grinding in the minors? Yeah, no, I said, uh, one of the kids I remember playing against in Juco the most I actually played against the second to last week of the year. We played against Lehigh Valley, a uh, kid named JD Hammer, who he's been up with the Phillies yes. a little bit. Uh, yeah. He went to yes. Navarro, which was, which was a powerhouse in our conference. They were a powerhouse in, in the Southern Juco circuit. So seeing him have as much success as he's had is not surprising due to the fact that he was a kind of a horse in Juco. So were you one of those guys that like, if I asked another guy in your conference, who was a dog in that conference that's playing Triplana? Would they say like Hobie Harris? Like, what are your stats like at Paris? Were you just an absolute freak? Honestly, no. I mean, I was my freshman year. I was a two way guy. I was I was still holding on to the hope that I could be a, a hitter for as long as I could, and I played the outfield, and then I would pitch out of the bullpen. And then my sophomore year, I showed up, and I didn't really have much of a say. My coach just said, "Hey, you're." A, uh, to look at the batting practice and I didn't see my name. He's like, yeah, you're just going to pitch. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. But when I was in JUCO, I mean, I didn't hit 90 until I was a sophomore in junior college. And then I was like high 80s, low 90s when I was at Pitt. 
and I didn't start throwing hard until I kind of figured figure my body out in pro ball. Yeah. Really? So you were one of those guys. So were you on like a low end? Were you like one of those low end guys at Paris? Uh, I mean, I was just kind of uh, going into my sophomore year. I actually earned a, the the Friday night starting spot, which was cool, uh, but not necessarily due to talent, just more so I, uh, I I threw well in the fall and I, you know, my coaches saw that I was working hard and I really wanted that one of the spot. And then actually one of our other guys got hurt. So I kind of fell into that position. But uh, no, I was definitely the epitome of a guy. So what would you say is like your funniest Juco story involving, let's just, I don't even know. Like, for instance, mine is guys jumping out the windows to avoid drinking underage tickets or shit like that. Like, what would you say is your funniest story? Oh, man. Uh, one of my favorites was, it's actually the last night we stayed in the dorms my sophomore year. Uh, we had just gotten knocked out of the conference tournament. Everybody's pretty fired up to pack their shit into the house. Summer, obviously, last night there, everybody's gonna throw down. So we got a bunch of guys drinking and hanging out. And throughout the course of the year, we had the inside of our dorm rooms to be in your college. We we lived in a glorified prison cell. I mean, it was like concrete cinder blocks on the wall, <laughs> and uh. Throughout the course of the year, we had guys like sign their names or write dumb shit and Sharpie on the wall. So we were actually spray painting it white to cover it up so it wouldn't get caught with a fine or anything. And it got so dusty from all the spray paint that the fire alarms went off. And the fire station was right down the road from our JUCO. So you have two or three fire trucks and an ambulance pull up with their lights on sitting in the parking lot. And then right behind them is our head coach's truck. And we're kind of looking around at each other like, this probably doesn't look very good. Like, he's, he thought he probably thought somebody just died or something. And he just walks up to us and he's kind of shaking his head and told him what happened. And he's like, you could at least wait till the fucking sun went down. Because <laughs> it was literally right right when we got back to the door. <laughs> we already had the freaking firehouse call off. So he's uh so like your coach I'm I'm assuming your coach was like a, a like a clear blue Texas guy like grew up in I'm assuming Paris or somewhere around there and just that's all he knew was baseball. So is there funny ass stories of him just disciplining you guys or stuff like that? Cuz I remember one story I told in the podcast where my coach legit just looked at us when we all got in trouble for drinking underage and said I have 30 pieces of shit standing in front of me and then we just did like triangles we just did all of like the hell runs so what's like a story that you guys have of like discipline or was your coach not disciplinary he was he was definitely a guy that enjoyed making us run a lot more than any human ever should have to run um and it was just a normal day where you know pitchers obviously have to run more than position guys just given the fact that they say cardiovascular wise you need to be able to have more endurance be able to throw complete game, throw deeper into the game, things like that. So we had a couple guys running, and we were running laps around the fields for, I mean, uh, it had to be an hour and a half, hour 45, and halfway through, we had we had guys that were trying to find to roll their ankle, didn't want to run anymore. So I, I'm running around, I'm running behind this guy, and we get to the center field wall, and there's a little bit of a dip of the warning track right by a sprinkler. And I see him eyeing it up for 
for two or three laps. And finally he runs, just steps in it and eats shit. And I'm like, I can't believe I just saw this guy trying to break his foot. So he could... Oh my God, dude. That's actually, that's the most Juco shit of all time. That is the most Juco shit of all time. Like I remember um, one, like we would have buses at like 5 a.m. And if you, and if you were there at 501, like you, you would, the bus would just be legitimately gone. Like, so my buddy would be, he would be like late for a minute and we would be driving away and you would see him like chasing the bus. Like our coach is going to stop for him. And our coach just did not acknowledge it at all. Like just would just look at his rear view and see the guy chasing and just get the fuck out of there. And then a funny story about that is, so one of my, one of my buddies was actually late to the bus and we were playing like game four hours away. And he thought it'd be a good idea for him to drive to the game himself after he missed the bus. So my coach was waiting for him there. And he made this guy run poles for the whole 18 inning fucking doubleheader we played. It was, I was shocked that the, and our coach would like send the guy out there to give him water once in a while. But that's just the definition of Juco. Like you, you, they don't, there's just no rules there. There's no hour constraints on when you can work out. So were you guys like doing these like two hour workouts like we were doing? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and they take advantage. You look at the, the NCAA regulations and what I saw. That was completely different because you were technically like allotted an hour a day during the fall to practice or whatever. So a bunch of the stuff we had to do was quoted as optional just so they wouldn't get tagged for it. But there are no rules like that in JUCO. So we would have an hour and a half, two hour lifts at five in the morning. Um, you know, our practice would be three hours long. We would have hell runs after practice and they know school is kind of a joke too. So they, they're aware of how much time we have and they used a lot of it to make sure we were getting better and also staying out of trouble. Do you guys do anything like a, like a hell week or anything like that? Cause I remember in the fall when our fall season ended, we would do something where it's like every Friday at 4am we'd have to wake up, we'd go to the gym and we would just do absolute fucking army training for an, like an hour, two hours. What, would you guys do that shit for like a whole week or was it every Friday? Like, what was that schedule like? So typically we would do it a couple times a week. Um, but there was, there was one week where it would be every morning at six, we'd have to be at the ballpark. And due to the fact that we only had one weight room and we shared it with, when I was there, Paris didn't have a football team anymore, but we shared it with basketball and soccer and, uh, Obviously, we only had our allotted time period. We could go in there. We would do uh, some weight training stuff, but for the most part, it was all revolved around running. And we had a park, like Coma Park. It's just a big dirt trail behind the right field fence. We call it Dragon Park. And we would run that 10 times. We would run the Paris Trail. We'd run five miles down the road to the old high school and back. And our coaches are leading the way which was impressive because it's, it's the whole practice what you preach thing. Like they're expecting us to keep up with them and you know, they were still dusting some guys, which is kind of funny, but, but yeah, there was definitely some, uh, I think more than disciplinary, just one of those things to kind of check mental toughness and they took advantage of the fact that there weren't very many restraints on it. So uh, definitely worked us quite a bit and also prepared me for for what was to come in the, in the years following at, at Pitt too, so that was good. Yeah, no, but the thing that's also kind of crazy is is like the idea of 
if you have these little fucking prima donna guys that are at D1s complaining about running and shit. So when you were at Pitt, I'm assuming there were some guys that were there since they were freshmen. Would you look at some of the guys that would be complaining about like the runs or the workouts or anything like that and be like, you don't even know what the fuck I had to deal with for two years. Like you got this shit good. Every like that's what day. I just picture in my mind. Every single day I would think about that. And the the big thing when I went, when I transferred out, I was fresh out of JUCO and I think 11 or 12 guys my transfer year were freshmen. So there was a very big freshman class. So these are all guys that are fresh out of high school. They were the best in their high school, best in their area, best in their state, whatever it may be. And to the point where a lot of those kids, high school coaches probably didn't have to do a word or do, do anything or say a word. They just said, hey, go out and play because you're that good. But you get around. We also had five or six other JUCO transfers uh, when I went in there. So we were always looking down at these guys that just came in. We're thinking, we're all doing the same work. We all got to find a way to get it done. It's it's a lot easier if you just do it, and not talk about it, do it, not complain about it, and find a way to just hard nose it. And again, going through it in junior college was made it a little bit easier. It, it still kicks your ass, but. But yeah, there were definitely there were definitely times where you would look back at some guys and say, "Come on, just just get it done." And you mentioned that Paris is in a very small town in Texas, which most JUCOs are. are mm-hmm. Did you grow up in like a very small town, so you were adjusted to it, or are you like a city guy and grew up in like a big city? In McKinney, where I'm from, the population was much lower. Uh, I say much lower for the area. I mean, we're we're not in the metroplex, like we're not in Dallas or Fort Worth or in the surrounding area, but it, it's gotten a lot more metropolitan recently. Um, so I'm, I wasn't used to being that far out of the way of everything and being that far in the middle of, uh, you know, in the middle of the country, but at the same time, I wasn't used to just buildings and sidewalks. Like I, I, I had a, a healthy balance of the two. So it took a little bit of an adjustment, but I was also used to most of it. Yeah. No, I guess that makes sense. Like for me, for instance, it was such a culture shock, obviously growing up like close to Toronto, like 30 minutes in Toronto and all that kind of stuff. It's like, man, what the fuck am I doing? You're like, I hate my life. Like, obviously I was very pissed off. Like the first month or two I was there, I was like, why am I in Nebraska? And -hmm. obviously you adjust to it and stuff like that. There's nothing really to do, but I mean, being a Texas guy, was there was your team just full of small town Texas kids or was it like a mix of everything? Cause I know what the Texas Jucos, they don't really offer out of state guys. Right. Right. It was a healthy mix of guys that were from small schools and small areas and then guys that were from metropolitan areas. So I'd, I played with quite a few kids from the Dallas-Fort Worth area and then uh, a good handful of kids from the Houston area as well. But for the most part, uh, we stayed. So I don't I don't think there were there were very many, if any, guys that they came from out of state. No, it's, I, you know what, Juco is crazy, man. I, I got, honestly, I hated it in the time, but now looking back on it, I kind of miss it. Just like the bus rides, the piece of shit meals you used to eat. Like, would you guys have, did you guys have a meal limit when you guys would go travel or were you, were your games like around where your area was? Like, cause I remember we used to go to like, we used to only have like a $6 limit at McDonald's or it's like, that's it. Like that's the max we can order. So was it like that right. for you guys? Um, so a lot of our meals we would have at the field before we left because until we got to the conference tournament, all of our teams we played were close enough to where we commuted. We didn't have to stay in a hotel or anything like that. So we would have 
like a bologna sandwich or a ham and cheese sandwich and a Ziploc uh, or when we finish up a game. So it was it was definitely not the, the most hearty meal and it wasn't anything spectacular. But, you know, do what you got to do, I guess. That's great. So you guys had it good, man. You don't even know what the fuck we had to deal with, like staying in these hotels, all this kind of shit. You guys had it good. You would sleep in your own bed every single night. We had an absolute dog shit experience. I mean, we would stay in these terrible hotels where it's like you'd sleep with your hoodie and pants on because you don't want to like touch the bed. So you guys got it good, man. You guys got it good. Like, I, I, I don't think you realize how good you guys had it, but who was like, who was the best Juco in your conference at the time? Was it, uh, I, I know Paris is pretty good. What's that? Uh, What's that other one? Fuck. Who? Yeah, who was the best one? So when I was there, uh, Navarro was really good. Texarkana was really good, but they cut their program after my freshman year. And they had the reigning uh, conference offensive MVP, and he ended up transferring to Navarro his sophomore year. So we played him again when he was there. And then when we got to the conference tournament, we always played Sam Jack, and they were really good. They were a million miles an hour. Uh, and Angelina and Galveston and some of those Southern schools were, were all strong. Yeah, there's, I mean, that conference is just fucking insane. So let's go. I mean, you get drafted after Pitt and the third, you get drafted by the Yankees scumbag organization. I'll say, I'll be the first to say it. Hate the Yankees, obviously, but what, 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 like, did you realize you were that, were they the team that was the most interested in you at the time? Or was it like, or was there other teams in the mix? Like obviously the Jays picked you up in the rule five draft, but was the Yankees like that only team that was like really, really interested in Hobie Harris? So I got some some interest via like player questionnaires and things like that uh, throughout the course of my senior season. And once our season finished up, I had an invite from the Yankees and from the Twins to do a pre-draft workout. So I went to Staten Island, did a pre-draft workout with, with the Yankees, and then the next day went up to Rochester and did one with the Twins. So I figured it would be one of those two teams. But based on the vibes that I got following those workouts, I knew the Yankees were were probably going to be the best fit as far as their interest level. Um, and you know, two weeks later, the third day of the draft rolls around, and they ended up ended up calling my name. So, and you, I mean, you were you were in the you were in the absolute trenches there in the Yankees. I mean, you played. I mean, you played for the Gulf Coast team all the way up to Double A. So, I mean, you were just absolutely grinding that organization. What facility would you say for that for that all that minor league system is the best? I heard Tampa's really nice. So Tampa's going to be the nicest just because that's where spring, spring training, training is. And when you play in that league, so now it's low A, but when I was in the Florida State League, it was still high, high A league. Um, every field you played at outside of Daytona are all big league ballparks. Um, travel's good. You don't have to go very far. The only thing you have to be able to fight is the, the rain because it rains every day during the summer. Just a matter of how long and how hard. Yeah, dude, you you actually grinded, man. Like I actually like I, obviously your agent alludes to it. Just his whole agency is just full of absolute grinders. So what would you say is like the hardest level for you? Where it was like, man, we're staying in the worst hotels. This travel is absolutely terrible. We're going to towns where I don't even know the name of them. What would you say was that level for you? Honestly, the toughest one was probably. I'd probably say the GCL just because it, it got so monotonous that it didn't really feel like professional baseball anymore. It felt like glorified <laughs> scrimmages. Like you, you, you think professional baseball, you think you're playing games under the lights, you get fans, regardless of if it's some shithole town or if you're playing triple A or big league ball. But 
in the GCL, you played during the week at noon or one o'clock in the middle of the summer. And then so, or Saturday, you play at 10 a.m. And you got guys that don't really want to be there. All they're looking forward to is going out Saturday night since we had an off day on Sunday. And the only people in the stands are front office folks from either your team or from the team you're playing against. And you see the same handful of teams for the that two-and-a-half-month period. So that was definitely probably – that was as close to JUCO as I've come since I've been in JUCO. That's electric. And, That's uh, absolutely electric. Because even coming from Pitt when I was in the ACC, we're playing in Miami and North Carolina and Florida State and Virginia and all these teams that have top-line facilities. They're, they're high-dollar, you know, Nike teams, Adidas teams. They've got all this money. And then you turn around and you're – you're getting fed like getting fed like shit. You're playing early in the morning on backfields that don't even have lights. And it just it talk about a grind to really figure out a way to get out of the GCL if you wanted to keep playing. Otherwise a lot of guys died in the GCL. And I don't know I don't know how close you are with uh friend of the show TJ Zoic, but is he looked upon as an absolute legend at the University of Pittsburgh? I mean the guy went first round. I mean he's that guy. No, yeah, TJ's always been been very very highly touted from both teammates and coaches alike. And um, unfortunately, the coaching staff that we played for, because uh, we were there at the same time, the coaching staff we played for is no longer there. But I know even in meeting this new coaching staff, they they know of him and they they're aware of how good he he was. And uh, looking at his junior campaign, the year he got drafted. He's got the build, and he's six seven, six eight. Got the electric arm. Um, got really good secondary stuff, and just knows how to fill up the zone and knows how to pitch. I knew he was going to be uh, be a guy that got paid. And our our pitching coach from day one, when he he got to the facility, was like, "This dude's about to be like he's going to be a dude." So he was fun to play with. It was really cool to play with me in the in AAA with since I got to the Blue Jays. Uh, but but yeah, it's. He was always a dude you look at and you're like, yeah, he's – I think we got something here. Cause... And obviously I'm biased, man, but I don't think he got a fair shake with the big league club with the Jays, man. I mean, he 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 has some electric shit. And obviously you got DF80s with the Cardinals now. But, I mean, he never got really his fair shake, man. It's just such a shitty thing. It just I mean, that's just the comes with the business of baseball, just giving up on a first-rounder like that. But who would you say, like – at the University of Pittsburgh that you played against, I guess, in the ACC or that you played with is like – a guy that's going to be a big time, like a, in the big leagues for a long time, or like the best player you ever played against in that conference. Oh man. Um, so I'm actually, well, our first ACC series, my junior year was against North Carolina. And that year it was so the spring of 2014, their Friday night guys named Trent Thornton, who I'm sure you're you're familiar with. Yeah, friend of, show, friend of the show, front of the show, another friend of the yeah. show. Yeah, so he, him and I became very close this year playing uh, playing a Buffalo together. But he was a guy that I remember watching that first and second inning, thinking like this is this is the ACC, and watching him throw him like I may have a few things to figure out because this guy's just he's doing it, you know. And that whole team was full <laughs> of guys like that, like. Sky Bolt was another one. He was a freshman All-American guy that's just incredibly talented, has some time in the league. Um, man, there are guys all over that conference. Nathan Kirby, who 
He's yeah. from Virginia, lefty. He no hit us yeah. uh, my junior year. He no hit us with 19 strikeouts at our place. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if the word helpless does it any justice, but we were we were sitting there watching that game like this guy is the best pitcher I've ever seen in my life. I didn't realize how good Trent Thornton was in university. So you're like, he was like the Friday guy at UNC. Cause we had him on the show. I didn't really, I, we were talking about the Jays majority of the time. I didn't really right. realize he was that good. So is UNC like the powerhouse school of that, con- like the best school in that conference? So when, when I was there, they were amongst the top, they were really good. Um, Virginia, obviously they went to the world series in 14 and they won it in 15. Um, but then again, even, you know, Miami was always good. They had dudes that could hit, and they had dudes that, that could pitch really well. Um, hell, Notre Dame. I mean, I played against Kevin for two years, and yeah. obviously now he's a he's a dude at the big league level. So there, it's it was a conference that, and what I alluded to earlier, a big part of the reason I went up there was to expose myself to that environment, and and there was definitely a, a lot of talented guys that I played against. So you didn't have like any SEC, Big Twelve, any, any offers like that out of JUCO. It was just Pitt. So I had a visit scheduled to go to Arkansas. Wow! And the reason I said I had it, I had it scheduled was because when I went up to Pitt, it was midway through the spring of my sophomore year. So they're trying to finalize lineups and make sure everything's good for the fall. And uh, go up on my visit sit down with the head coach and he says, we're looking to get two more arms, but if you sign with us, commit, sign by the end of the week, we'll give you the rest of the scholarship money and you'll be the last guy we sign. Wow. Which is great, which is great because I got nearly all my school paid for. The only downside of that was that following week, I was scheduled to go visit Arkansas. So it was kind of a, I had to make a quick decision and I, I made the right one. I don't regret it one bit. Um, because of where I'm at now, the the team I played for, the guys I was with, was a great group of guys. We enjoyed it, um, but but that was the one SEC team I had interest from was was our dude. You would have been in your element in Arkansas, though, bro. You would have been. I mean, you would have just been like a. I mean, they yeah, they would have thought you were from there. They thought you grew up there as a, as a fan of the of of the Arkansas Razorbacks. I mean, that would have been. I couldn't even imagine you at Arkansas, just in your element, cowboy hats, going to the college football games. That's just absolutely electric. Yeah, and it, it is like. And I test. I say it all the time on the show, man. The SEC is just different. Like for all for all sports, it doesn't mm-hmm. even matter. Like football, baseball, basketball. It's just the fandom there. The atmosphere, the camaraderie of how everyone comes together and roots for a team, how belligerent, drunk all the fans get—it's just, it's just different, man. So it's a religion. They make it a religion. It it is a religion. So, were you like, are you a horns up guy or are you a horns down guy? Like, what what side of the spectrum do you fall on? Your horns down. I respect that. Listen, listen. After the after last weekend, they're frauds. They're dead to me in football. I bet they're just a poverty football team now. They're dead to me. So, I mean, let's go in. Why are you horns down? So, a couple of reasons. I grew up. my childhood best friend, his entire family for generations were, were Sooners and he ended up going to Oklahoma as well. So I grew up in his house watching Sooner games. So I went and visited him when he was at Oklahoma and I really, I really liked the campus and obviously the football team has been electric for the past half decade, decade with all the guys that they've put in the league. Um, so that, and then my brother and my fiance both graduated from A&M. So I'm a big, big college station fan. Um, and those two things together, plus the fact that, um, I don't know, I just, I, I get a bad vibe from, from guys that 
or from the University of Texas. I think they're they think they are the, the university in Texas, and it it just rubs me a little bit. So I've I've been excited to root against them. Well, they're the little brother, right? I mean, I, that's no disrespect. We've had Texas guys on the show. I love the baseball team. It's just we're talking about football right now. Yeah. And the football team's a little brother. A&M beat Alabama last weekend, so they're the big dog big now in campus. Yeah. Big win. Massive win. And Texas got the doors blown off them in the fourth quarter against Oklahoma after having a 28-7 to lead. So that's just that's just how that's, that's just how the chips the chips the the cookie crumbles now. So that's you just love to see it. So and going into pit football, yep. I mean, what's the deal? What's the deal there? I mean, what are your what's your thought? Pro- is the team are they back or what? What's the thought process? So first and foremost, I'm a huge Kenny Pickett fan. I think he's the truth. I think he should get some some sort of uh, voting just because the numbers he's put up. Granted, I hate how they schedule non-conference games and SEC team this year that we beat them but when we're playing the smaller the mid-major schools and we just blow their doors off I don't think it does them justice I think we need to we need to be able to to go up against the Big Ten or go up against the SEC and and show that we can compete because that's always going to be the the question mark over their head when people think well Pitt you know they're blowing the doors off all these teams their offense is really good defense is strong but they're not playing Florida, they're not playing Alabama, they're not playing even Iowa, you know. So where they're at, I think they're going to be in good standing uh, through conference play. Big week coming up against Virginia Virginia Tech, and then I'm anxious to see how yeah. we do against Clemson and Miami. Uh, but I mean, I'm I'm on board. I think this year more than the the years past, uh, they've got a shot to make it to the the ACC championship. So I'm I'm just holding on, hoping that they can keep it rolling. I mean, what are they doing there, like scheduling New Hampshire? I mean, seventy-seven to seven, like yeah. that's just that just doesn't help anyone. I mean, well, yes, it puts money into the pockets of New Hampshire because you pay them to play them, but I mean, seventy-seven to seven. What are we doing here? Like that's just embarrassing. Yeah, and uh, you score half half a hundred points at the half, and you're thinking, all right, you can go out there and they can have the ball for the the whole second half, and we still blow them off, like blow them out. So I don't. Again, that, that goes back to my point. I would much rather it be some nail-biter games against some some heavy hitters rather than just, oh, look, how many teams we can score against or how many points we can score against a JV team. So, Yeah. No, this week, like you said, I mean, the, the next three weeks, you got absolute – I mean, Pitt has absolute hell weeks coming up. You got Virginia Tech, Clemson, and Miami. Well, Miami's dog shit, but Virginia Tech and Clemson, those are two heavy hitters, like you said. So we'll see there. So if you're a betting man, are you taking – obviously, I'm a degenerate. Are you taking VT – are you taking Pitt against VT this weekend? Are you saying straight up or are we talking the spread? No, we're talking the spread here. I don't know what the spread's going to be. Oh, it's five. Credit to me for finding that out right now. The spread's five. Are we taking Pitt or are we taking VT? Well, I think – it would be stand for if I don't say Pitt, but I, I think I can say that pretty uh, pretty confidently. As long as their defense, their secondary can come to play and they don't get beat deep, uh, I know we're going to be able to score. If I were a betting man, I'd put it, I'd put put the spread on Pitt. And credit to you for not being a betting man. That just shows you're a bigger guy than I am. But uh, <laughs> I wanted to go into that you getting picked up by the Blue Jays. You're obviously the best team in baseball, not to be biased. Right. So where were you when you where were you when you found out that the Blue Jays were interested in you and they picked you up? Like, what was the thought process there? Because obviously it's like a division, like a division rival with the Yankees. You got, you, right. I'm assuming you play the Jays the whole, all the systems you play the Jays in. Mm-hmm. So was it like an easy adjustment for you? 
So when I got the call, my agent actually called me, I guess it was beginning of December of 2019, December 9th or 10th or every day the rule five was, but I was actually getting ready to train. So I was with my trainer and I just finished my warm up and my, I looked down at my phone and my agent had called me two or three times and I'm thinking, well, it's kind of weird because Gator calls me all the time at random times just to kind of shoot the shit. But he texted me and he said, call me back, call me back right now. And then the third one said, you're a blue Jay. I'm thinking, what the hell does that mean? So I called him. And then <laughs> as I'm, the phone's ringing, it, it, it clicked. I'm like, oh, today was rule five. I must've gotten picked up. That's pretty cool. Um, so he kind of explained how all that worked. And then uh, I had a buddy that, that played with them. He actually played with them up until COVID hit um, at the, the higher level named Matt Shannon. He's a kid from San Antonio, but he's a really good friend of mine. So I, I knew somebody going into it, going into spring training. And then obviously I met a lot of those guys right off the bat. So it was a really easy training. Um, the way the coaching staff and the front office runs during camp is pretty, pretty welcoming. I felt like it, it didn't take much time for me to, to settle in and feel at home. So that was good. Yeah, no, like I said, it's just you go from a scumbag organization to an absolute class act, salt of the earth, good dude, just with the Toronto Blue Jays. So it's just an incredible adjustment. And obviously, you didn't even play double A. I don't think you played double A for the Yankees. I could be wrong on that, but you just went straight to triple A here with Toronto. So you, and the thing is, the shitty bounce for you is you had to play in Trenton and then mix the time. And you're always playing away games. So, Going into this year, I mean, how hard was that shit? Because I obviously talked to Kevin. It's like, man, we don't even know where we're going to be at, like in like a week from now. So was this year as challenging as most people took it? So for me, I think out of everybody that played in Trent this year, it was probably the easiest for me. And I say that because at the end, the end of the 2018 season, I spent about a month or so in double with the Yankees, and they were in Trenton at the time. So I was familiar with the ballpark and familiar with the area. So when we got back, there was a little bit of a homecoming for me. Um, but the only downside of that was, especially after getting to Buffalo and seeing the facilities and how nice it was and how cool the fans were up there, it was a, a complete upgrade. Uh, but not to discredit the fans or the people in Trenton, because while we were there, we had the best home record in AAA baseball. We were playing really well. So while, while we were there, it was really cool. Uh, it was a good atmosphere. But we were all definitely really excited when we got up to Buffalo because that, that felt to me more like I was now in AAA with the Blue Jays instead of kind of just standing in for when I was there with the Yankees. Well, you saw the changes, though, with that. I mean, like in Buffalo, I, I think it's called Coca-Cola Park. I could be wrong unless they changed it. But they had to make it to be a big league field. So you guys got all the benefits there, right? I mean, you got like the nicer weight rooms, you got all like the nicer facility aspect. You got you know, the locker room look way different. I heard. Yep. So was it just like a completely 180 compared to like, obviously living in a double a facility grinding out there, then having to face other triple a teams in their shitty ass visitor locker room. So it must've just been bananas. Correct. Like it's just uh, it insane. Was, it was a complete, complete 180. And, and even looking back to spring training, we got this brand new, multi multi-million dollar um, spring training facility that was state-of-the-art and it was had a 47,000 square feet weight room and every in and out you could ever think of the locker room was just next level and then they basically replicated that on a smaller scale in Buffalo so when we got up there it felt like you were you were in the big leagues which is really cool 
we were able to uh, enjoy it even more because of the fact that we came from Trent. So it was like, uh, for me, it was, I could connect it to like when I upgraded from junior college to the ACC. It was like this enormous jump, not because of how nice it was, but because I came from a much shittier place. And then now it's like, this is the big leagues, which is pretty cool. Would you say that Buffalo has a very underrated downtown? I always say I live like 25, 30 minutes from Buffalo. I think it's absolutely electric. The, the downtown scene, the bars there are kind of sick. Mm-hmm. It's just a good atmosphere. Then on Sundays, you got the Bills games, like jumping through tables and shit. Oh, no. So would you say that the would you say that like that Buffalo downtown is one of the most underrated cities to visit, like in AAA at least? As far as places I've been, it is definitely top of that list. It, it gives you a cool kind of because I am an enormous advocate for just small little dive bars. And I found plenty of them closer to campus because University of Buffalo is right there. And then you've got the nicer downtown with we have, as a team, we all went up to one of these rooftop bars overlooking the city that was pretty sick. And they've all they've got really cool places to eat and uh, anything you could really want from from a big city like that. And then obviously talk about the people and the fandom they have with Bill's Mafia and things like that. It was a really, really cool spot. Did you get to experience the Bills? I mean, because obviously the season got extended. Did you get to experience at least the, uh, like the atmosphere on Sunday in Buffalo, like a Bills Bills Mafia kind of atmo? So I never got to go to a game or a tailgate, but I did see – I mean, it's it's blue and red everywhere on Sunday. And whether you're going to the grocery store or you're going to get a bite to eat or even at the ballpark, I mean, there are people just – they play a night game and you see people in the stands watching our game and you know they're watching the Bills game sitting in their seat. It's just – it's a – it's a next level kind of commitment and the kind of uh, legion of that team, which is pretty, pretty neat. Dude, it's uh, it's a fandom like no other. So, do you, would you say you're a converted Bills Mafia guy now? Like just seeing, because obviously you're a blue collared guy. You relate to that shit. You're from right. you wear cowboy boots. That's just what I assume. So you're a blue collared guy, fucking hard hard hot steel toe boots. Is that something? Is are you an NFL fan, free agent, or do you have a team? I'm a Cowboys fan. So I have been. Oh my yeah, I, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot but uh, but to your to your point, I become a fan of the way that that team is supported. I'm a big Josh Allen fan. I think he's a stud. Um, I think they're a powerhouse team. I think they've got a very bright future, especially in the the next five, six, seven years to come. Uh, wouldn't cheer, and I think if I were to go to a game, you could probably catch me in a Bills jersey. I respect that. That's that's just such like I actually I actually respect you getting ahead of that because if a picture gets released of you in a Bills jersey, you're saying you're a Cowboys guy. You're getting ahead of it right now. That's just an absolute power move. And the Cowboys are an absolute wagon. Like they're disgusting this year, especially with Dak. And you oh, saw yeah. yesterday they absolutely curb stomped the Giants. Mm-hmm. So you're all. I mean, are you all in right now on this team on this Dallas Cowboys team? I think they're an absolute wagon. So I've been all in every year that they went eight and eight, and we knew that they were just the epitome of mediocrity. So this year, more than everyone before, and especially because it's coming up, we're going to have to, we're going to have to pay Michael Gallup. So this is the team, if we want to do it, especially with how our defense is playing. If we can stay healthy, we're splitting carries between Zeke and Pollard, which is a big power move. I think uh, we're going to have a chance to make a move in the playoffs. And it fires me up just because of how many people hate on not only the Cowboys, but Cowboys fans. So whenever they – find that success it gives me a little more ammo to use against the against that hate so who would who would be like a rivalry in the in the bison's clubhouse for you that hates the cowboys the most like was there guys that hated the cowboys an exponential amount compared to others um you know i honestly i didn't catch too much grief for being a cowboys fan uh and i think 
because of the fact that they've got such power, such power offensive weapons. And our, our clubhouse wasn't as much of an NFL fan clubhouse. It was a fantasy clubhouse. So you can hate the Cowboys all you want, but if you got Dak fantasy team, he's scoring you 30 a win, you don't really care. Okay. So so who who's the best fantasy guy right now? Are you in that? I'm assuming you're in that league. Is that correct? In that league. And after yesterday, I'm – I think I'm three and two after yesterday. So I'm middle of the pack. There, I, I'll have to go back and look, but there may be one guy is that's Ke- Is Kevin in that league? Can I chirp Kevin? Is Kevin he's, in that league? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here, let me pull it up. Let's see what we got here. Because I'm assuming Kevin's team's not the top of, like, not the cream of the cream. I mean, the cream of the crop, whatever the hell that saying is, right? He can't be that. He, I mean, he can't be that good of a fantasy owner. You can't be good at everything. Well, you would think. Well, okay, so we've got we've got 12 guys in this league. Where did it just go? And as it sits right now, oh, well, it still doesn't refresh because we got money in that football tonight. I've already won my week because neither one of us, me or the guy I'm playing, has anybody playing tonight. So I'm winning that this week. 12 guys, Kevin is 11 out of 12. Yeah, no, I mean, Kevin, you just, that's just incredible. That actually fires me up. I just fucking love to hear that because the guy's just good at everything. I mean, the guy's good at literally every single thing. I play COD with the guy. He's nasty at COD. I watch him play in AAA and in the show. He's nasty in both. He's nasty at defense. Just sometimes it's good to have that on someone where it's like, listen, I'm better than you at this. You know what I'm saying? So credit to Kevin for that. Thanks, human. And let, let's go into that. Let's go in. Let's go into this year for Kevin. Well, then we'll go into you. But this guy's numbers were idiotic, right? I oh. mean. I, we have we've had guys on the show that played for Lehigh Valley and played for other Triple A teams that said there was guys in the bullpen that were like I don't want to face Kevin Smith like he was like a household name of like guys they don't want to play against. Oh, yeah. So what was it like watching it being on his team with it? It was almost surreal to be honest with you because he would get up there and I'll put it in perspective. We were in Worcester uh, middle of the year and we were thinking. Kevin was having a little bit of a rough week because he hadn't hit any balls out. Uh, and typically a lot of his success was contingent upon extra base hits or long balls. Right. So he hadn't hit a home in the series. And I go into the clubhouse in the middle of the game, gets something out of the locker, get something to use them. And uh, they've got the broadcast going and Kevin's up to the plate and says, and fifth game of the series and Kevin Smith's just hit his. I was like, so I think I thought this kid was slumping. He's got seven doubles in the last five games. And and it also, it, he was a guy that early in the game, he could give us, he could win the game for us in the first inning because we're up three nothing and we have the best pitching staff in all of baseball. Or he's the one that if it's the eighth inning, it's a tie game, or it's the ninth inning, it's a tie game, or a close game. It was definitely a big uh, security blanket for us, which was really cool. And it's a good feeling as a pitcher because, you know, Kevin's up there, he takes the lead, we win the game. Yeah, no, it's just I, the guy's an absolute legend. And obviously, I was there at his debut in Toronto uh, uh, with his family and all that kind of stuff. And it was just kind of cool to see that he finally got like, well, at least some recognition and got the call up, man. I mean, the numbers that he was putting up in AAA was like, what more could this guy do? And he told me stories of, like you guys saying in the clubhouse, like, man, like, what else do you have to do? Is that true? Like, you guys would be looking at him like, dude, what? Like, I, I don't know what's going on here. Why are you still here? 100%. It came from us. It came from us, us as players. It came from us as coaches. And it came from everybody that we played against. 
we're thinking like, all right, he hit 10 homers, 14 homers. He's still batting 310. He's still batting 305. You know, he's got 19 homers. Like, what else does he need to do? His defense is second to none. Whenever he's behind me at shortstop or third or wherever he was, I know that there's a ground ball over there. I only have to watch the play. I know it's going to be made. So it was it was almost comical how long it took for him to get that call. And then that, this is completely off topic, but I have to bring this up. And I saw this on your Wikipedia, or actually you're on your minor league baseball. Is your real name Robert? Yeah. Is that like actually your real yep. name? So why do you go by Hobie? Because honestly, I'm just dialed in with the name Hobie. I think it's the most electric name in baseball. So you got to obviously keep it, keep it. Oh, yeah. But what what's going on here? What what why aren't you referred to as Robert? Like what what's the background of the the Hobie name? So I'm name I'm a junior. I'm named after my dad. But uh, before I was born, it was I'm named after the Hobie Cat sailboat. My dad, and my grandfather grew up sailing, and uh, my parents were trying to decide if being the firstborn, they wanted me to be named after my dad or if they wanted to use Hobie as my real name. And they decided to go with with the former and then just be referred to as Hobie as my nickname, which I've gone I've gone by my entire life. Um, and then my mom also said, had my real name been Hobie, they, they would have named me Hobie Daniel. And they said it sounded a little too redneck. So they decided to go with Robert. <laughs> That's such a sick. That's such a sick name. Hobie is just honestly like one of the most absolute power move names. I don't think I've ever met someone, maybe because I'm from Canada, named Hobie. It's just, it's just when I hear the name Hobie, like I said, you're like the demo. You're like the main thing I think of when I think of Hobie. Just cowboy boots, cowboy hat, and beats the shit out of people at bar fights. Like that's what I picture when I hear the name Hobie. And it's just, it is. It, it's a hundred percent correct. So, and do guys, do guys rag on you for that? Like, does do your teammates know your real name's Robert? Uh, so a, a lot of them do, I say a lot, a, a handful of do guys that I've either met last year or that I've played against and that I've had a relationship with before I got here. Uh, but I think the last week, the last month of the year, we had a, in our team group chat, we had a, our trainer send a message for guys that had drug test and, I was on there with Robert Harris and there were like three, four, five comments saying, who the hell is Robert? Cause they didn't know my name. So I think we got like a new player or something. But after that, oh, man. that's hilarious. That's so, that's so funny, dude. I, that's electric. And then uh, another next thing I want to bring up is the bat dog. I mean, you guys had one of the most fun, the funniest video, a video that broke the internet a couple of weeks ago when Calvin Biggio was up to plate and the bat dog, I'm assuming from Trenton. Is that correct? That's a that's Trenton correct. bat yep. dog. Yep. He lent his services to you guys. Thank, thank him for his service. And he runs onto the field, storms onto the field in the middle of a Calvin Biggio at bat. What, what's it like even I, – I feel like every team should have a bat dog. I feel like human beings doing it is just a waste of time, a waste of, waste of, just a waste of energy. So what was it like having a bat dog? I mean, it's the most electric thing of all time. Uh, it was cool. And, again, I saw that for the first time in 2018 when I was with the Yankees because even though the team left, the bat dog remained uh, – as a, a fan, member of the Trenton Thunder. So it's cool. I mean, it's it's cool to see for the first time just because it's almost surreal. It's something you don't really ever think about. And then you see a base hit or you see somebody walk and then the dog is out and grabs a bat. You're like, exactly what you said. Like, that should happen more often. That should be a staple of baseball. But but that was cool. And and obviously that stunt he pulled running onto the field in the middle of the game. We just – we credit it to him being, being out of practice for a couple months and just missing – being part of the action. So he had to just put himself right in the middle of it. 
Oh uh, yeah, no, it's it, it's such an electric story, and honestly, and this is why I respect it because hypothetically speaking, you can't be mad after a strikeout when you see a golden retriever or a pop out to the catcher, or pop out to the infielder when you see a golden retriever. But there was also one I don't know if you saw this of a scumbag umpire who just picked took the bat away from the bat dog and just threw it to the dugout. Is that one of the biggest scumbag moves of all time? And what did that happen in your game? Was that a your game thing? Yeah, so that, there's a there's a special place in hell for people like that that just let the let the dog be a dog, let him do his thing. And I was I was pretty fired up after I saw that video, but um, I I never experienced that anything like that firsthand. Typically, um, being in Trenton or whenever he made his guest appearance in Buffalo, the the crowd and the umpires alike were all aware of what service he was bringing to the table. So he, he let him do his thing. And even if that meant running around in the middle of the gameplay for 20 seconds, just kind of let him go. So, so I haven't experienced anything like that. Who was like, uh, obviously you guys got to face some big league guys in rehabbing and all that kind of stuff. And one guy that I noticed is Kevin sent me this video. He almost launched against Chris sale. I don't know if you remember that. Like he got robbed at the top of the wall. Do you remember that game? Oh, who yeah. was like who was some big league hitters that you who was that big league hitter like some big league hitters that you got to face rehabbing? Oh man, you're gonna make me think about this now. Um I remember a handful of guys with the Red Sox. Yeah, because I know Verdugo and those oh, guys uh, were rehabbing. Yeah. Uh Didi yeah. with the Phillies. Um that was cool because I I he rehabbed with us when I was still with the Yankees at high A a little bit. So it was cool to to see him again. He's a great dude, stand up guy, but definitely not necessarily a guy you want to face just because he's a stud. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there were definitely a handful of guys. I'm thinking on some of them right now, but I heard Didi and Verdugo and those guys. So and 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 especially for you, I mean, you were having a good year, and I actually tweeted. I remember you liking it. I tweeted, like, what more does Hobie Harris have to do? Because you have these absolute scrubs, no offense, that were pitching out of that Blue Jays bullpen. Not going to name any names, Tyler Chatwood. And then you have you and your guy right there, the you, you and the other guy, Baker, just absolutely yep. throwing, like, 98, like, just painting corners, just carving AAA. And the Jays have Tyler Chatwood in the show, who's, like I said, no disrespect, probably sure he's a nice guy. He's my arch nemesis. He's the reason the Jays didn't make the playoffs. That's besides the fact. So what were you guys saying in that locker room? Like, were you guys like, I mean, what do we, what more do we have to do here? Or like, how hard is it to stay positive when you guys clearly know you guys have the stuff to be in the show, but you're not getting that call? Because I had to deal with it with Kevin. Like, I would talk to Kevin about it too. Right. So it, it went in phases because early on we're thinking we're playing well. The team's playing well. Like, there's going to be an opportunity. The season's still young. And then guys get hurt and they – Guys get hurt, guys get healthy, so they're kind of interchangeable as far as guys that have had the big league level. And then you get closer to the trade deadline, and you're thinking, all right, some of us are either going to get dealt or we're going to deal somebody and we're going to get a chance. And then they trade for three or four bullpen arms at the big league level, and that knocks you down a little bit. You're thinking, all right, now what more do I have to do? I've got to pitch even better than I already have. Um, and even if I do, a lot of those spots are there already taken, so you got to – you got to really just stay taking one day at a time because at the end of the day, those decisions aren't things that you can really control. And I'm so glad Baker got his chance at the end of the year when he did, it was much deserved. Same thing with Kirby Snead and, 
and those guys. But but there was definitely the point of the year where we're all looking around the room thinking, all right, well, you've got a 1-5 and you're striking out everybody. You've got a 1-5 and you're striking out. You throw 100, you throw 98, you've got the grossest breaking ball I've ever seen, and we're all sitting in triple A. Yeah. So it's, it was – it was definitely a grind as far as mentally being able to still show up to a ballpark every day and, and try to do your job. But at the same time, you got to do what you can do because you can't control it. And were they pumping your tires too? Like were, were like the guys telling you like, listen, Hobie, like you're doing well here. You're carving. We obviously see a future in you. Or was there like no really communication with those guys or even like the managers and stuff like that, like at the AAA level? So everything I got from – the coaching staff at our level was always positive reinforcement because they really, there wasn't much to say other than keep doing what you're doing. Cause it's not, if it was their call, we all would have been up a lot earlier in the year and we all would have stayed up at the big league level. But unfortunately those are, those are higher up moves that are made and we really don't see much of that or even hear about much of that until you're, you get that call and you're called up. But as far as everything that took place in our clubhouse was always like, dude, you, you're going to get your chance. Just keep going. Yeah, I can respect that. And wait a second. I think we have a special guest here joining the show. Well, 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 look who it is. <laughs> if it isn't Matthew Gata is joining the show. Are the player's agent, a guy front of the show. Matthew, welcome to the show, brother. Welcome to the, welcome to the grind. What's going on? Hobie, where are you at? Uh, I'm in our apartment. And huh. we just got moved in. Gata, so nice. so obviously Gata, your Hobie's your guy. You you represent him, and like I said, I've been pumping his hey, tires. Juan. The guy absolutely cars. I've been advocating for him to be in the show instead of that scumbag fraud Tyler Chatwood for my whole the whole season. So let's go into that with you for a second here. What's your funniest Hobie Harris story? Uh, what, what or what's like a, something funny that he does? Is it the cowboy boots? Because that's that's what I'm I'm all in on the cowboy boots. I'm all in on the cowboy boots, the cowboy hat. Um... I mean, there's not really a funny story about Hobie. There's more just funny stories collectively of us together having adventures. I mean, I feel, should we tell the butterfly story? I mean, go for it. You got to. <laughs> All right. So I went to the Suns game with Hobie and a few other of my players. It was during fall league in 18. And we went out to the bars after and... They were trying to help me talk with females and one of our, yeah, the story gets better. So our waitress had a tattoo. So I said, how oh, should I start the conversation? What should I do? And, and Hobie was like, I forget if it was you, Hobie, or if it was Tanner or someone said, mention something about one of her tattoos. She has a tattoo. I was like, okay, cool. I got this. So she comes back, brings us our drinks and whatever. And I was like, Hey, I was like, I like your butterfly tattoo. She said, oh, thank you so much. I was like, yeah, butterflies are my favorite animal. So, I mean, that's, that's a funny story involving involving Hobie and I. But, yeah, I mean, there's nothing really I could think of about Hobie. But dude's, dude's a baller. He'll be a big leaguer for many years to come. No, as you can say, like I said, I'm completely unbiased. I think he should be in the show now. And, Hobie, just to let you know, and I told this to Kevin Smith, and he kept his promise. When you make that debut, I mean, I'm going to have to be there in Toronto. I mean, I'm assuming it's going to be in Toronto. We're going to pray that's in Toronto because I went to an unhealthy amount of games this year in general. But I'm going to have to be there. And like I said, as you can see right now with the shirts, we made shirts for Kevin Smith's debut. 
the greatest player with a generic oh, name in baseball history. So I'm gonna we're gonna make something going with you. Maybe a picture of you in cowboy boots. Me and Gata will wear. But and Gita, I don't know if you remember this, Gita. I actually said this. So for Mike Adams' debut in the show, I will wear a suit. So me and you are gonna be wearing suits to Mike Adams' debut. Did you? I don't know if you heard that. I did not hear that. So we're gonna be doing that. And 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 Gita, you the thing that I respect to you that I wanted to mention is is you're you do an absolute power move by searching your players' names on Twitter and just absolutely either one acknowledging that this person's a clown or two posting their story. So you're a ride or die guy. So Hobie, what's it been like being with Gata? I mean, is it like, do you want him to run your Instagram at some point? Cause he's electric on Instagram. Man, he, he definitely gives me a lot of confidence through, uh, through how I perform as far as anything off the field goes. I don't know if I want him to join my Instagram, but, but no, I mean, I, I, I definitely, a lot of opportunities that I've been given and, and a lot of uh, my success can be attributed to his help and his guidance. I think you know, we said from day one that we're, you know, this agency is a family and we're in this together. And it's really cool to see not only the success he's having, but the success all these guys that he, he represents is having getting their shot at the big leagues. Because uh, when I signed with them in, in 17, I was one of six or seven guys. And now it's, it's an empire of all these future big league guys and, and current big league guys. So to see it where he came from, from the beginning and be a part of that and see the evolution, it's been, it's been really cool to watch. Gata, go into the engagement story, by the way, the proposal, because honestly, Hobie, I mean, the guy's just, I mean, I thought that was going to get featured on like E news or some shit. It was just one <laughs> of the most romantic things I've ever seen. So Gata, go into that. I mean, you obviously were the, were the brains behind it. I'm assuming you set up the office Give the people a little bit of a background on what happened there with the proposal. So honestly, with the proposal, Hobie was the one who I guess spearheaded the initial uh, the initial thought. He was like, "Could we do it in the office?" And I said, "Yeah, we could do it in the office." And I was actually in Watkins' apartment at that time, thinking, "Oh yeah, it'll be so easy." Security was through the roof, but I mean, we got in. Would you do it on Monday, Hobie? Yeah, so it was a Monday. He came to my apartment, which I literally just moved into the week before, and he handed me a suitcase. And he said, <laughs> can you take this for me? I'm like, yeah, okay, I can take this for you. BTW, Allie, his lovely fiance. I had absolutely no clue what that luggage, what was in the luggage, any part of that. My apartment's probably three or four streets down from the Trade Center, so uh, – they thought that, or Allie thought she was just going to go up to the 85th floor to see my office and view. So they walked to the office with me and I said, Hey, I actually have a client, ironically, walk ins because they were playing the Yankees at the time, coming to the office. And we got to talk about things like, Let me go inside. You guys can tour around New York and then come back in an hour. So I take the luggage through security, get upstairs put the rose petals down, everything that we bought, and then ultimately uh, set everything up. And probably 30 minutes later, Allie walked through the door and she looked like she saw a ghost. She was so shocked. It was insane. I was like, really? You had absolutely no clue. Like, nothing. She said, nope. So, yeah. Hobie, so how nervous were you for that? Because everyone always mentions, like, oh, this is the most nerve-wracking thing of all time. I think it's a little bit on the bullshit side because you know she's going to say yes. And maybe I don't know, but give me a little thought process there. Were the, were the butterflies jumping, especially being on the 85th floor? Like, get, what was your mindset going into that? 
going into the day, because I, obviously I had it planned out. I knew when I was going to do it. I was I was confident, and, and like you said, like you you know, because we had talked about it before that that the answer I was going to get from her wasn't the question. But as soon as Gato went up, we were kind of walking around New York a little bit, and I was thinking about what was about to transpire an hour later. I started getting incredibly nervous. And again, it wasn't because I didn't think I was going to get the answer I wanted. It was more just like I understood how big of a deal this was and how monumental of a moment this is. Some of this a life changing decision and something that's going to, it's a moment that's going to be up ahead for the rest of my life. So I just wanted to make sure that it was, it was great and memorable for her. And I wanted to make sure that I, I did it right. So, so we can have a good memory of it. Kate, are we going to that wedding or what? Because I'm assuming you don't have a date. So are, are we going to that? Unless you have a date that I don't know about, are we going to that wedding, Gata? <laughs> I I don't have a date, so Gata, I no, Gata, one. I'm your plus one. Don't worry, we got. I mean, you need a little bit of Canada there, Hobie. I mean, you can't just be. It just can't just be a full party of Americans. I'll maybe I'll even MC for free. We'll figure something out. I'll, I just need I need to be at this wedding. I think we could. I think we could work it. I think we can work it. <laughs> well, anyways, Gata, this was honestly an electric entrance by you. I mean, I might have to I'm I'm gonna put your face on the Undertaker gift coming back alive of you entering into this Zoom call, into this into this interview. Gata <laughs> Gata, best of luck. Man. And Gata, we'll talk soon, man, because obviously your guy Nick Anderson hopefully comes in the game tonight and just absolutely puts people in their back pockets. So I'm on the raise side tonight. I mean, Blue Plow, I don't know if you guys saw the Grand Slam by my guy. Yeah. We're just, I mean, the, the official, official podcast is buzzing right now. So, and obviously we have Nick Anderson coming in tonight. So, Gata, you, you got the raise tonight, Gata? You think the, you think the raise pull this shit out tonight? 7-5. 7-5. Nick Anderson save in Fenway. Uh, he's not on the roster. But he's not on the roster? Not on the roster. No, Nick, no. On the roster. What the, fuck? Just what the fuck? All right. Well, never mind then. All right. So, I mean, we got to get him into the ALCS then. That's, I mean, that's the goal. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, all right, Gata. So, Hobie, anything, anything else left to say to the the players agent here, the man of the people? I'll let you two go at it. But <laughs> pleasure. Easy, <laughs> brother. Easy, brother. I, I, Hobie, a couple other things here. The second last thing I wanted to bring up here is is the Cloud Man nickname. I mean, you you walk around with this thing at games. What's the deal with yeah. that? What is that? So, being one of the mascots in Trenton, he he was a, a staple of what the fans would see when he'd come to watch us play. We were we were home in Trenton, and I, I don't know what started my admiration of him. Other than just, I thought it was a sick costume. Just kind of like yoked up. I'm like this dude, he gets it. Like he looks like a superhero. And he he walked down by the bullpen one day, and I looked at him like, dude, Cloud Man, you're my hero. Like you're the man. And <laughs> ever since then, like because it, it there was buzz in the clubhouse that I was, I don't know if you want to say a big fan or if I just thought he was like the man. This guy, he seems like he's got to figure it out. Like he gets it, and th- that transpired into me acquiring the nickname and just being a very, very big fan. And ended up being I've got the little cloud man deal electron force at the end of the year, and we made that push and ended up winning our division. That I feel like he had a big part of that. So, are you guys getting rings now? Like, are, are you got? Are you? Are, did you guys get fitted for rings for winning the division? So I'm not sure how that works because with with the COVID season and how everything was split up and we were only in our 
Northeast division. I don't know if it's the winner of the entire Eastern side gets a ring or if each winner of the division gets a ring, because if it's overall, I think we were second in by a few games behind Durham, but I, I haven't been told one way or another how exactly logistically how it's going to work. So I'm, I'm still kind of waiting to hear what, what we're going to end up getting. And I, I asked this to Ke- is there like such thing as a triple A MVP? Like, I, cause he, he told me he's in the, re- he's in the running for like in all of triple A. So is that like actually a thing? I, I have no idea. I would assume so. I mean, I, I've seen accolades like that before. I, I haven't seen anything, again, due to the fact that things this year were a little bit different. I'm not sure if it's going to follow the same type of format as it has in the past, but I that wouldn't surprise me one bit if, if that were an award, and it, it would surprise me even less if Kevin won it. No, same. I've, I Like I said, Kevin's going to win it. We're, we're advocating for Kevin here. And the last thing is, obviously, with football season, I mean, it's just in full full effect here. Are you two things? Are you gonna? Are you like how close are you to the to Jerry's world? Are you gonna go into a game in the near future that we can maybe dock? Maybe maybe we can get some pictures of it. And right. two, I mean, what's the prediction here for the Cowboys? Obviously, they're gonna win the NFC East. I mean, yeah. that's just one of the worst, one of the right. worst divisions in football history. So, what's your? I mean, are we talking like conference? Like, are we talking champion? Like the conference champion? Like, what's the deal here? What's your process? So, to the first question, we're about little over a half hour from J world. So we're right up the road. And if, you know, we, we find some tickets and we, we have a weekend, we can go. Uh, I'd love to, I know Allie hasn't been to a game yet and um, they're always electric, especially with how good the team is this year. So I think if we get a chance to number one, we'll go and number two, we'll make sure that it's, it's docked so we can, we can get those pictures out. But um I think uh, obviously you alluded to it. The NFC East is probably the biggest show conference in the NFL. Um, but on the other side of that, I know the the John, or the Phillies, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Cowboys always play each other really tough. So us watch us beating pretty good a couple weeks ago was strong. That was good to see. And even playing tough and ended up losing Week One against the Bucks. I think we played really well and given. It's all gonna. We live and die by our defense. If we if we can continue minimizing the long ball, and we can we can get three and outs as often as we can. We're gonna be able to score. So I think we're gonna get deeper than our normal one game in the playoffs, one and done. I think my prediction is at least pushing for the NFC Championship. Yeah, and it helps when you have Trayvon Diggs, who's just the best core. I mean, the best the best defense he's going to win defensive player of the year i mean the guy's the guy's yeah. legitimately insane so you get that guy then honestly i roasted mm-hmm. dan quinn i roasted dan quinn a lot when he was on the on the falcons which is warranted because he was just an embarrassing head coach he was meant to be a defensive coordinator what he's done with the dallas with the dallas defense is legit night and day like last year they were an embarrassment yeah. and this year you got obviously digs and their their defense is playing really well so it just it's a good thing to look into but anyways man i mean obviously you're knocking on that door, man, and you saw what it's like to play at the Rogers Center this year. I don't know if you people, guys, would tell you about it, but it's a fucking electric. It's 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 insane. Like Nate even told yeah. me, Nate, Nate, Nate Pearson said it was like you couldn't hear himself think. Like so, obviously that debut is going to be coming. As I said, I'm a Hobie Harris guy now, so I'll be at the games. We dialed in, sitting close to the bullpen, keeping an ears to the stands, letting people know if they chirp you, they're dead to me. So just keep Love doing it. your thing, man. Obviously. And good luck in spring training next year. We'll talk soon. And let, 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 let's get the Cowboys to an NFC championship one time for the people out there just to make Jerry Jerry feel a little bit more young. 
give it to them for give them what they want. Hey man, check you out me on. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Officially Unofficial. Make sure you guys subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Official Unofficial Pod and on Instagram at Officially Unofficial Pod. Thank you. Mm-hmm.